is Germaine Health, the center to help you achieve wellness in both your brain and body. We endeavor to encourage cross-communication between health professionals for your health and well-being. We'll bring you topics on neuropsychology, neurobehavior, neuromusculoskeletal, neurogastro, movement is well-being, metabolism, and microbiome, which are also some of the services that we provide. We know all of you can't get enough of our conversation with Scene. So here's a bonus part two. Enjoy. So Scene, so um, as an athlete, you've been lifting for the past 17 to 20 years. Surely you've got, you know, some really hard days. And I know that you say you enjoy the sport very much. But what about those hard days? Like, you know, what are the emotions, the feelings that you go through? And how do you manage how do you know that is the right um, thing to do and what makes you have faith in what you do? The hard days aren't the hard ones, really. It's when you have the long periods of drudgery and pain and that's what's really hard. Days themselves, they're pretty straightforward. Um, you isolate, I isolate what the problem is. Is it a problem because I'm injured? Is it a problem because I've had a rough day at work? Is it a problem because I haven't eaten enough? Just isolating the problem itself, understanding, identifying and managing the problem and knowing that sun's going to come up tomorrow, well, somewhere it will, and <laughs> getting on with it. That, having that mentality helps a lot for the singular hard days. Managing when there's... 20 or 30 or 40 or hundreds of those repeated day after day after day, that's mental fortitude. That's what's, that's the difference between athletes, I find, the difference between athletes that will cut it and the ones that won't. Because to know that you're on a downward trajectory and to maintain what you're doing and keep doing what you're doing because... Why do you keep doing it? Finding those reasons within yourself and convincing yourself to maintain because the outcome somewhere along the line might improve, that's the hard one. That's the one that makes it hard. How do you develop mental fortitude? How do you develop mental fortitude? That toughness. A lot of it's innate. Some people tend to have it. If you don't, training it up relies on having a good team of people around you and a good support network that will assist and allow you to have a buffer and to ease your fears and make your realities come true. So weightlifting is a team sport? Weightlifting is a huge team sport, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely underappreciated, underappreciated how, how you can't really do it in isolation by yourself. You can try. You might be able to get it to a certain stage, but you can't maintain that. It's nearly impossible to do it. The amount of people that you need, the support staff you need, both medical, coaching, home life, friends, network, work, networking, all those, they all count towards a team to help you do what you want to do, to help you lift weights and whatever. So people think of a team sport as a bunch of people together with a common goal of getting the round ball in the, in the ring or whatever it happens to be. That's not really what we're talking about here with teams, sports. It's, the team is external to that. 
and these guys are all really they're all cornerstones to getting to you to where you need to be or where you want to be. I find talking with you seen all the time you're very focused. How is it that you develop that focus? And also, how do you apply that in your in your everyday or your singular days, and still achieving the goal, the end goal? Focused, as in not scattered. No, focused. You're not scattered. You, it feels like you know every time I talk to you, you you're very focused, like very present. Yeah, very present, very mindful of you know your experience, how you come across as a person. It just appears to me that you're very focused. Like you know what your end goal is. You know that sometimes it's not a linear path. It's not a linear trajectory. You know that sometimes there can be ups and downs. But how do you keep yourself focused in what you do every day? The first part of that question, I guess, I like to apply how I like to be perceived by people and understood by them. I like to be clear. I don't want there to be any ambiguity or any misconstruing that can happen. So, in order to do that, I feel that I absolutely need to pay attention and understand the situation, the questions that have been asked, or the physical interactions between people and myself and body language. I feel I have to have a good handle on that and understand that to be able to give a detailed. Adequate answer, so that we can communicate on a better level. Because really, it's all about communication, understanding what the situation requires and entails. So that's quite important to me. I apply that. I generally try and apply that to life. In terms of focus for what I want to achieve, I guess, or moving moving forward, maintaining focus on on. Things having goals, even if they're like, even if they're not set goals, because I find concrete goals to be like a little bit, dare I say, it, disappointing. In that, once you've achieved a goal, you're like, oh, that's it, I'm done. Where's the next? Carrot? Where's the next carrot? That's right. And if you if you don't have those lined up, then you can find yourself at the end of the whatever the road might be with nowhere left to go. And I don't really want to be. In that situation, so I guess instead of having those sorts of goals, I have set for myself, or not really set for myself. I try and be able to be in a situation where I can look back upon my life and say I wouldn't change a thing. I've done the best that I can, and I've not managed to disappoint anyone—myself, my friends, my family. Whatever it may be, so no disappointments. I wouldn't have any do-overs. Like you often speak speak to people, and they're like, "Oh, if I had my time again, I'll do this differently." I don't want to be able to say that and say, "Look, if I had this time again, I would change X, Y, and Z." It's not. You only get one chance. Just try and make the best of it. And so that's probably the way I look at it. I think, um, like you know, the average person within a scene has a crazy life, but. I'm thinking. Would you agree with me, Sim? That you think that you're very organized. You just segment things very well. Is that how you run your daily life? Well, so is that why you're saying that it's not as crazy as what the average person might think it's crazy? 
Well, when you're, it's funny, when you're involved in something, you don't really think it's crazy, do you? I mean, you can talk to like people that are heavily invested in religion and they don't think that what they do is crazy. So when, when you're doing something that doesn't seem crazy at the time, and hopefully I'll never look back at it and think it's crazy, but it's just a matter of it, when it's a lifestyle choice, then it's become it's, and it's your social network and like you've got that many people that you 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 know and you spend all that time with and it's just something you do it's not really that hard it's just something it's a routine that you get into it's just something that you just do would you consider if there was an opportunity to be a full-time athlete no 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 why do you think it's important to have I guess something outside of lifting. It's, weightlifting is the sport is a sort of sport that would chew you up and spit you out so quickly it's not funny. You need to have something external to break up the monotony and to give you a, a mental release as well as a physical release. Basically, if you're if you're all you're doing is training, it really plays with your mind significantly, and you end up. Because you can't, you physically can't train as much as you want to or need to because you'll start breaking down. So this gives you all this mental downtime where you're questioning, you start questioning yourself, you question yourself, you question your coaches, you question your medical staff. And especially now that we have access to all this information and some of it's real and some of it's fake and some of it's staged, staged and truth and lies and you don't know what's what and that's all you're doing. The risk of going into this crazy spiral is just so easy. And it's just, it's so easy to fall apart. So we know you have a full-time job, a very supportive... Very supportive workplace. Very supportive workplace. And not many people are lucky enough to be in the same boat. Will there be a difference if you are a full-time athlete as compared to a part-time? Yes. I believe that I would be able to, I'll perform at a slightly higher level. However, I'm not convinced that I'll be able to maintain for the life that I've had at a high level. Um, it'd be slightly higher. Yeah, I'd be able to compete, train, perform slightly better. But mentally, I think I would uh, fall apart within three years. Yeah. So you're talking about the sustainability of consistency at a high level yes. as compared to the short and sharp and massive gains yes. over very contracted time. Yes. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's a happy medium somewhere in between there that can be achieved. I don't know what that is. There must be a happy medium somewhere, but definitely for an extended period of time, being a full-time athlete is detrimental for mental health. That's interesting that you say that because it's like when full-time athletes or professional athletes don't have that. I mean, they are in a manufactured environment and an engineered environment. Mm -hmm. They only know how to interact within that very engineered environment. And when they're taken out of that, you start seeing issues. Yeah, I mean, it's that manufactured environment that you're talking about is very, very real. And these guys, when they're when you're talking about full time athletes or professional athletes, they're surrounded by people who will and do treat them like they are the absolute bee's knees mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. starts off because 
the support crew feel that that's what that person needs mm-hmm. and then it might end up that way because that's what the athlete has come to determine, they come to decide that that's what they, how they like being treated. Mm-hmm. That's not how the real world works. In the real world. Mm-hmm. And a pure example of that, I'm going to give you an example that's um, a bit of an anecdote, is um, so when you, when you go away to like major events, big games, multi-sport games, like that's exactly it. it's a completely manufactured um, environment and you everything's free and it's free food and it's like 24 hour this and the gym's there 24 hours and it's you got house cleaners and you got support staff there medical staff that you know you just rock up and they're like oh hey see how's you going and they make you feel like you're absolutely the best thing in the world I really do and it's, it's amazing and you go you're you're in this bubble for about three two weeks, weeks, two, two weeks, three weeks, weeks yeah. maybe, and then you get out of this bubble and you come back down to reality and... No and one cares about you. Well, <laughs> you, get, you get back, and I'm not even going to say you go to work, if you get, get home and you open the fridge and you're like, I've got no food in the fridge and the milk's off, okay, you go up to the shops and you get jostled about because it's your favourite whatever is this last one and someone pushes you out the way to get it. And that's the reality of life. I was I was at one of the events and I came back and it was really random because I went into a fast I went into the Nando's, so I think it was Nando's, or maybe a sushi joint. I went in somewhere that was definitely not McDonald's. And there was a newspaper on the table and I've gone to look at it and this bird that lady, there was this lady who was reading it, but I wasn't sure if she was reading it. And she's just gone, hey, I was reading that. And I was like, well, there's no need to be like that. But because I've been in the environment where if I, if I'd been, if there was a newspaper there and it was on the table and I, let's say I was in the medical, um, medical tent for argument's sake and I wanted to look at it, the people there would be like, oh, yeah. Have it, have it, read it, take it up to your room. As opposed to someone that was instantly on the attack as to why I was looking at the free newspaper that she was already looking at first. And it's just such a different environment that you're in. And being in that bubble, going back to the uh, Shemaine's point, being in that manufactured bubble and that environment for an extended period of time doesn't do any favours for you when you try and step out of that, when you try and rejoin regular society and when you try and make something of yourself that's outside of kicking a ball into a, into a goal or trying to lift the weight above your head. So, see, you've got the day job, you know, as a mining engineer. Um, would you say that one of the reasons is because there's no um, support from the government in weightlifting in Australia? Jeez, that's a... Uh... Another kind of more. It's I don't know. It's not. I have a day job because I like being independent. I like being able to support myself. Whether there's enough financial support from the government for this sport is arguably a debate that for a, a different podcast and a different day, arguably. But from my point of view. I have the flexibility with a full-time job to make my own rules and do my own thing. And in the context of Jermaine Health and being able to see Jermaine, 
the fact that I am financially independent means meant that at the drop of a hat, I could call up, look up the website and say, these are the fees and go, I don't need to call someone to find out if I have enough money in the kitty to go and see this person who is external to the government, the standard sports government recommended practitioners. I can just go and not have to turn around to anyone and put my hand out and beg. That is quite true on the um, pension side. Sometimes, you know, AFL guys going in um, privately or coming in privately, even even at a VFL level, it's not recommended to them from a club's point of view or organisational sport. It's hard because within that environment, you have got to, for the athlete, I'm talking about for the, within the environment, they have got to go see the recommended person. Exactly. There's a list of providers That's that you right. can see. That's right. And if they don't, then the team, the management, the everyone, everyone in the environment will come down quite hard on the athlete. At the same time, I'm saying yes because because Sarah is raising her eyebrows like really, really high. So for those of you who are listening, and when that happens, that puts a lot of pressure on the athlete. But it doesn't mean that the athlete might be recovering properly. There's a high bar, high chance that the athlete is not recovering properly as well because everyone is treated like pretty much like cattle. They are in a uniform organisation. They behave uniformly and that there is a lot of a one-size-fits-all basket. But with every athlete, the way that they are built, the way that they are moving, the way that they are thinking about how they are approaching a sport, that all intermingles and interrelates to how they get into injury in the first place. And that also structures how they get out of injury. When those things are not considered, then they are treated with their injuries in isolation, then we start having trouble. So if you're talking about just on the injury part of the being in an organisation. So that's the limitations of that. However, there are other things that I'm curious about as well. Like, for example, how can you know AWF help with grassroots, for example? Or the, is that a podcast for another day? That's a big one and that's for another day. Okay. <laughs> there, there are lots of big questions in there. I mean, the AWF does a lot for the sport. They support us in the interpersonal relationships between us, the individual athletes and the government, government organisations. We receive minimal financial, direct financial assistance, but we do receive support from point of view as we, they fund our events, mm-hmm. uh, flights, accommodation to most events if you mm-hmm. qualify. And they, they basically allow us to be able to do what we do. So that's pretty important. For the grassroots of sports, of weightlifting, I mean, that's, that's a hot topic at the moment. And I think it's been a hot topic for a long time because it's such a complicated topic. There's a lot of finger pointing for, as to who is responsible for growing at a grassroots level. And you know, I don't have any answers for you for that. I think grassroots, the, the way, I mean, for grassroots or anything, it means that it has to be both top down and bottom up and everyone meets in the middle. Is it easy to do? It's not. 
Is it um, possible to do? Yes, it is. The way I, um, I, this is coming from an experience of being in involved in I don't know for profits as well. So what that means is that there must be leadership from somewhere. It needs to start from somewhere, and then this is what I see in most spots. There need to be some leadership from somewhere, and there need to be responsiveness and participation in return. Then we we can start having said, hey, we can grow this sport or not. That's my interpretation of it. But I'm I'm a clinician, so I don't I I can say that this is just an outsider observation. Is it a good sport? I look. I love weightlifting. I, I tell you why I love weightlifting. I I came in very late in weightlifting. So late, I and and I was introduced to weightlifting by Lingi, of anyone else, and I liked it for rehab and not so much the sport itself. Uh, when I was growing up, I saw weightlifting. I was like, oh, maybe everyone needs to be short and look like a frog shape, <laughs> frog shape lifters, right? And <laughs> and they well, and when I was growing up in in Singapore, there was only uh, there was one silver medalist in weightlifting, mm-hmm. Olympic silver medalist in weightlifting. And and I think that that was all I saw of weightlifting. So I and then he looked short, but not short statues. He's just and then he's small, and then he's just really big torso. And I go like, well, if everyone looks like that in weightlifting, that's not what I want to do. (laughs) It's not aesthetically pleasing to my eyeballs. (laughs) Is that is that right? (laughs) But having been um, exposed to it from my friend. Uh, my dear friend Lingyi, and and she, she does not look like a frog. She does not look like a frog. Um, she's small and she's so strong. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Um, she she moved well enough at that point in time. Now she was moving much much better. And I learned to appreciate a lot about details that go into weightlifting itself, the technicalities that when you, even when we're breaking it up, a lot of people, especially females, would be able to see a lot of benefits just doing it. Largely because the, to be very good at weightlifting, the health of your joints, and I mean to me in my mind, right? The health of your joints is incredibly important. And the technicalities of it is pretty much joint by joint. You stack all the joints in sequence so that you get a really good outcome. And there's no other sport that does that so well apart from weightlifting. Because it's a skill. It's not just skill. It's skill on many, many levels. It's a mental skill. It's an emotional skill. And it's a physical skill that we all need to, I feel, that we as just human beings is great to have and I learned from my I did my first competition I think this was it this year I think it was it this year I have my own um, mechanical restrictions and limitations too but what I learned from scene in return is that she said is Shermaine that you know competition are a very good benchmark to know where you are at that made and that led me on a path of why am I moving like that why, how am I responding to the lift? Why am I responding to the lift in such a manner in, in and during the competition? So, so is that my default movement pattern? If that it is, that is what it is, I have got to change that so that my own physicality improves. Because as, as a movement clinician, if the joints don't stack well, 
you will not move well. If you do not move well, you don't have a proper outcome. It's a very simple A to, a to B destination. When I think about that, I go like, well, why aren't everyone doing weightlifting then? You know, why, why is there not more women doing weightlifting? I mean, doing, taking it up properly and doing it as a personal development, if not anything else, it's a personal development journey. That's why I asked you about the grass, the whole grassroots effect of it, the groundswell for weightlifting. Food for thought. Food for thought, definitely. Something you can just kind of like, you know, just edge that towards, you know, VWF, AW. I, I'm getting very confused. VWA, yeah, something A-W-F. like that. Yeah, that. <laughs> That's my perception of it. Tell me more. Oh, have you got any tips for athletes and you know weightlifters? Tips for athletes and weightlifters. Ah, oh, I think I covered it. Yeah, have fun, enjoy what you do. What are your thoughts on CrossFit? Yeah. What are my thoughts on CrossFit? CrossFit has done a lot for weightlifting from the point of view as it's given extreme amounts of exposure. I don't know enough about CrossFit to comment any other way. We're taking scene out into the, the den and we're going to do a CrossFit workout after this. Yes. Uh, Check back shortly. I'm sure I'll expire quite rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> right, these questions are getting a bit random so I think that's a good time to stop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Once again, we want to thank Scene again for being so generous with her time. We hope you got many pearls of wisdom like we did to help you all along your training journeys. Stay tuned for more athlete profiles. Please do reach out and send in requests from people you'd like to hear from. On our next athlete profile, we'll be featuring then Emily Gottlieb, now Musket, on her journey to gold. Until next time, this is Jermaine Health signing out. Go move your bodies. Movement is well-being. If you like what we are presenting, please give us a thumbs up, a like, or share it with one other person whom you think we may be able to help. For those of you who are coaches, dancers, or athletes, and may find difficulty with expressing or executing movement patterns, please do connect with us on our website, www.germainhealth.com.au, and Jermaine Health is spelled J-U-R-M-A-I-N-E-H-E-A. LTH, or please socialize with us on Facebook, also Jermaine Health, and Instagram, which is Jermaine Health Body. And last but not least, since this podcast is made for you, our clients, patients, and fans, do let us know what else you might like to hear about. That's us for today. Have a good week.